Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. All right, I just want to make sure I say good morning to you watching online. See you. Go ahead and throw in the comments how uh, handsome I'm looking this morning. I don't know. Maybe. All right. Uh, so, so have you ever, like, you're shopping online and you get something in return and it's like, that's not at all what I thought it was. Right? I haven't had, like, a serious bad situation. I, I ordered some hats one time. Imagine that, me ordering hats. It's to cover my bald head. In case you want. So sun, it's, uh, sun's a real thing for me. I'm fair. Um, but I got these hats, and they, they didn't fit on my head because they were women's hats. And either, either I didn't read the description or the description failed me. Uh, but I, I've heard of those horror stories of, of women getting dresses, and it's really like a, a Barbie doll dress. And they're like, oh, I, th- I just thought it was a good deal. Uh, my wife is, like, keeping Amazon right now, um, probably rethinking their whole uh, free return policy. Because uh, we, I mean, they just come, and the UPS driver's like, hey, again, Jen, uh, I, cream and sugar, oh, you remembered, thanks. Um, so, I mean, she's just uh, keeping that return policy flowing. But, you know, you order that stuff online, and you get it, and it's just not what you thought it would be. But what is our response when it's God who turns out to be something other than what we thought he would be? Right, he's just not who I thought he would be. How do you respond? Does he have to be? who you want him to be, right? In order for you to serve, in order for you to follow, in order for you to love him, does he have to be who you want him to be or can we allow him to be who he is? Right? If you've ever had any of these thoughts, any of these struggles, let me assure you that you're not weird, you're not alone, you're not crazy, right? It is our response in those times that, that really matter. So what do you do when Jesus is not who you thought him to be? tensions in the room. Let's pray. Well, God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning as we dive in, as we get into your word, that you would show us, God, who you truly are, God, that we would see you. God, that any scales that are on our eyes would would fall off this morning, God, and we would see you for who you are, and God, that we would really find ourselves responding in an appropriate way. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is Palm Sunday. Right, the week before the Super Bowl. Right, this begins what many will call Holy Week. Uh, it began on, on Sunday with Jesus entering Jerusalem all those many years ago. And is what is probably uh, titled in your Bible, the paragraph, it says triumphal entry. But up to now, Jesus, he's been avoiding crowds. Right, many times he's been unsuccessful at it. Right? Uh, but he would perform these miracles and people would wish to to take him by force and proclaim him to be king, but he would slip through the crowd. He'd disappear. He'd find a place of, of solitude. So when uh, the disciple Peter's mother-in-law, I don't know if you remember this story or not, but she was bedridden. She's sick with fever. This was in the very beginning of him calling those disciples. Jesus comes to her, and he takes her by the hand, and he heals her. And then the word gets out. The whole city comes says that night that the whole city shows up and they bring the sick and they bring the demon-possessed. And it says 
that the whole city came and is surrounding there. So what does Jesus do? He gets up real early and he leaves. He gets up early in the morning, it's still dark, and he goes to this desolate place and he prays. And Peter, Peter's searching and he's find, he tries to find him. And once he finds him, he's like, everyone is looking for you. Let's go. There's, there's, there's a lot of people that are sick and they're possessed. And this is like Peter's hometown. He's like, listen, I know some of these people. They need you. And instead, Jesus says, ah, we're going to go to the next town. Right? I'm going to preach there as well. So here's a little side nugget. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. Jesus is going to slip away from a lot of good and holy things. Like, I don't know, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. He slips away from those holy things. And instead, he finds time to pray, finds time to rest, finds silence and solitude, time with the Father. Sometimes being like Jesus is saying no to some pretty great things, even righteous things, and saying yes to you and your peace, your rest, your soul care. But the crowds, they follow him. They follow him to some out-of-the-way places, and they find that they have no access to food. Remember when he feeds the, the multitudes? So even when there's this crowd, it's gathering, and there's more sick, and there's more demon-possessed, and there's more people that need healing, Jesus slips away again. He sends his disciples across on a boat, and he finds a place of rest. So there's maybe in here, maybe, I don't know, maybe a teaching of, of rhythms and and rest and silence and solitude for, an, for another day, right? But he avoided the publicity and would instruct people to make sure that they told no one. Let's look at a couple scriptures. Mark 1, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would permit the demons, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Mark 3.12, speaking again to demons and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Matthew 9.30, there's two blind men. They're healed and their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that nobody, nobody knows about this. Mark 7.36, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Now listen, here in Mark 7, Jesus takes this guy, takes him aside privately. He's trying to avoid the spotlight and he puts... His finger's in the guy's ear. The Bible says he spits and touches his tongue. I expected a gasp. He spits and touches the guy's tongue. Okay, okay, okay. Right, this is like not COVID sensitive at all. Also, this is not going to happen should you come up for prayer today. Like we're not, we're not, we're not going to spit and touch your tongue. It's It's okay. But some translations even spell it out. He spat and touched his tongue with the saliva. And in case you missed it, Jesus is putting his saliva on the guy's tongue. Then he charged him not to tell anyone. And I, you know, I, I, you bet, you think, like, there's no way my boys are knowing that you touched my tongue with your spit. And maybe Jesus is more like, okay, there's no way this guy's going to go tell somebody that I healed him by spitting in his mouth. Like, it's just... There's no way he's going to go talk about this. Make sure you go tell nobody. We're good. But that didn't happen, right? He, he, of course, they, they proclaim it all the more, even with spit in his mouth. There might be something a little more to this saliva thing. They, they don't know what we know now. 
about saliva and how it contains like, some deep. They can tell just by a little spit, like where my, what continent my ancestors grew up on, right? So maybe there's a little bit more. It's, it's, it's not so weird that Jesus would be so free with his spittle, with his DNA. And this wouldn't be the last time that he spits in someone's face. Hawks a loogie, makes some mud, and jams it in his eye socket so he can see. I've got six kids, and maybe occasionally... There's one or two fights about food, about candy, but everyone thinks like twice about eating after Lizzie. She will lick that thing up and down. She's like, I've done this before. This is mine. And she will claim it. And I think there's a healing ministry in her future. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus is not trying to be known. Right? Even when his mom asks him, like, can you do something about it? This family's going to be embarrassed. They've, they've run out of wine. Jesus, I need you to do something. What's his response? His response was, my hour has not yet come. But the crowds are building nonetheless. And he's, he's even avoiding going to Jerusalem, ministering in the small towns and mainly to the north, that area called Galilee, that region. And the more he tells people, the more he tells demons not to tell anyone, the more they proclaim it. So I was in college and some of my friends and I, we would uh, we'd go to this Best Western hotel, and it had a sauna, has this indoor pool, has this hot tub, and, and its patio is real nice. And we'd, we'd grab some pizza, and we'd just have a blast. Now, mind you, none of us had a reservation. None of us had a room. And we're probably the reason why those things are locked down like Fort Knox now. You got to, like, slide your car. You get down to your feet, your car, and you're like, ah, oh, I can't go to work out at the gym. I can't do any of this stuff. And we had a code word for this. It was Yoohoo. So, you know, we could talk about it in the dorm. Like, hey, I'm really craving a Yoohoo right about now. Or, uh, you, you want to go grab a Yoohoo? Uh, Yoohoo is that chocolatey beverage for, for the uninformed. Right? Okay. So, this group started to grow because people would talk about it. It's like the first rule of Yoohoo is don't talk about Yoohoo. And yet, it grows. And then finally, this guy brings his girl in, and it's over. Like, no more code word, no more Yoohoo. So the crowds are growing, maybe a little faster and a little larger than Yuhu. But the prevailing question is this. Could this be the Messiah that was promised? See, Israel is under this Roman occupation, and they are anticipating their prophesied Savior. Right? Their promised Messiah. And he's, he's going to liberate them from the Romans. But this is, this is not Jesus' plan. But there's going to be a new king. This is what the, these people are saying. There's going to be a new king on the throne, listen, you could hear it. You could almost sense it with, with, with what Jesus was doing. This is, listen to how Jesus teaches. Right, look at the wonders and the signs that he does. This has got to be him. This has got to be the Messiah. But then Jesus, he pivots and actually begins to press towards Jerusalem, the thing that he's been avoiding. And when Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick and then dies in, in Bethany, and this is just right outside of Jerusalem, Jesus informs the disciples that they're headed to his home. And Thomas, the one who usually gets a bad rap because he's the guy who doubted, doubting Thomas, he's like, strap up, boys, it's on. Listen to him in, in John 11. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that may we, we, we may so is, go ahead, read it yourself. <laughs> Let us also go that we may die with him. He's like, we know the tension that's in Jerusalem. We know the tension that's with the religious, religious leaders. Goodness, let's go. 
those closest to him, his disciples, they now identify him as the Christ. But they know what the religious leaders think. They know Jesus is that perceived threat, and they know this is risky. So this is right before Holy Week. This is, you know, this week, so many years ago, this is Palm Sunday, the, uh, right before that, this most spectacular thing this, of Jesus' earthly ministry, his miracle happens. Jesus and his disciples, they, they go to the home of Lazarus. And he's been dead now, and he's been buried for four days. And Jesus raises him from the dead. And the boys have got to be amped. Let's go. It's on. What you got, religious leaders? He did, this guy's been in the grave for four days. But meanwhile, so there's some Jews there. And they witness the miracle. And they go and they tell the Jewish leaders. And their response can be found in John 11, verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You can hear him. They're saying, let's squash this guy. Our people are getting riled up. They're thinking of him to be the Messiah. And Rome's going to step in and they're going to crush us. We've got a pretty good thing going here. But this unlearned, this untrained rabbi from Galilee, right? he's not going to ruin it. It's almost patriotic of them. It's for sure self-preserving, but listen to him in, in John 11. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. But Jesus, he makes this purposeful decision, right? He's going to enter Jerusalem. Right, this is during Passover, one of their biggest celebrations of the year. See, Jesus knows this is the beginning of the end. This is a push towards crucifixion, but his disciples and the crowds, they're believing him to take his place as king. So picture, the area's got to be electric. There's thousands. This is like Decatur Celebration on steroids. There's, there's thousands filling the streets. Right? And they're there, and they got this religious zeal. It's this Passover pilgrimage. And they've caused this population of, of Jerusalem about forty to 50,000. Now it's swelled to four to five times that size. And the Romans, they're extra watchful, but Jesus rides in on a donkey. Right? That's symbolizing peace. He heads to the temple, and Rome's like, oh, I'm not really concerned too much about the religious stuff. But the people, they're singing and they're chanting, and you can hear them in John 12. It says, so they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna, save now. That's literally what it means. Save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even, listen to what they're calling him, the king of Israel. Why palm branches? It's that national symbol of victory. They've declared victory, and they've chosen their king. Imagine being those closest to him. Imagine being his chosen disciples, the 12. What is the indication for you? They're calling Jesus king. All right, James and John, they have their mom come and ask him, hey, can, can we get some prominent positions for my boys? And one will sit at your right hand, one will sit at your left. Right, the disciples, they got it, they're, they're so amped, and they got to be loving What's happening? The Jewish religious leaders, they're trying to manage Rome. And here comes this healer, casting out demons and raising the dead. See, Jesus was, was for the people, and, they, and the people loved it. They were coming out to see Jesus, and they wanted to see this Lazarus even, right? Because Lazarus is there, and they want to see, is he really alive? Did he really do it? Is this really, is it true? 
They wanted more miracles, and they, they loved that he overturned the tables. He goes to the temple, and he overturns tables, exposing the corrupt system and that's preying on the people. But his disciples have got to be wondering, what is this dude waiting for? We've been following all the time. Now we're here. The crowds are here. What is he waiting for? What's Jesus doing? He's, he's washing our feet. All he wants to do is teach in the temple. He even gives them this new commandment to love one another. They will know your disciples, you're my disciples, if you love one another. Uh, okay, all right, all right, Jesus. But what about the Romans? Did you see the crowd that we had that day? It was just Sunday. We had this huge crowd, and they're singing Hosanna. They're saying, this is our king, and you didn't take action. You just let the crowds dissipate. You just let them disappear. For the Jewish religious, this untrained kid from Nazareth, they're saying he's got to be proven wrong. There needs to be something that creates this wedge between Jesus and the people. So the debated questions come, the unanswerable, the self-defeating questions, and yet Jesus answers them all. The people are hanging on his every word as he teaches in the temple. But the religious leaders, they're thinking, we've got to arrest this guy. We got to do it in secret, away from the people. So they turn to Judas. The Jewish leaders are gathering to remove Jesus to protect their way of life. This messianic troublemaker has got to be dealt with. If they don't step in and stop Jesus, the Romans will step in and they're going to destroy what we have here. In fact, they're going to destroy the nation. So enter Judas. He knows they're looking to arrest Jesus and they've been asking around. And so he goes to them and we don't know his motivation here. Jesus, maybe it's Jesus didn't come in, right? He's thinking, he didn't come in as this military king to overthrow Rome. Maybe he's not the Messiah. Or Jesus is thinking, things are going a little bit too slow here. I need to help Jesus out a little bit. Poke the bear. Jesus just needs the right motivation. Either way, Jesus is just not who I need him to be or who I thought he was. So for 30 pieces of silver, the plan is formed to betray Jesus. Now, Judas wasn't just this fringe follower. Right? He wasn't just this fringe follower that was, that was disappointed. He was one of the closest. He was handpicked by Jesus. Come, follow me. Jesus had given him authority. This guy had healed the sick, and he cast out demons in Jesus' name. He'd been given authority, and yet he would turn when Jesus wasn't who he thought he was. Judas gets this pretty bad rap. I mean, no one is naming their kid Judas. Like, it's just not on, I mean, it's synonymous with traitor. But all of his disciples would betray him. They all ran. It wasn't just Judas. Peter's the other one that we really get to see that up-close view of. Right? He would even deny knowing him. Right? He denies him three times. So what are the conditions you have for following Jesus? Or rather, what does uh, Jesus have to do for you? to retain your loyalty? Is there some kind of blessing you have to have or you want? Are you out if the healing doesn't come? If your marriage isn't fixed? If you don't get the job? What does he need to perform or do for you? What are your conditions? How closely? How closely do we follow Jesus when it's not convenient? What is your price? What's your Jesus plus? Jesus plus healing, 
Jesus plus comfort, Jesus plus blessing. They all left him, and he died in their place anyway. He died in our place anyway. So we actually get to see two of these responses up close. We saw, saw Judas' response, but Peter betrays him also. Judas, once he sees that they have arrested Jesus, and he's been beaten, and he's been condemned, he's delivered to Pilate, and he's delivered to the Romans. Why, why the Romans? It's only because the penalty of, of death couldn't be given by the Jews anymore. They, they, the Romans had taken that, that right away. So they have to take him to the Romans in order to, to follow through and kill Jesus. So Judas sees him condemned, and he has deep remorse. Some translations will even say, it might say in your Bible that you're reading right now, it'll say repentance. But that one is not repentance towards God. It's repentance towards oneself. It's like having that deep remorse or maybe even regret. So there's this pastor author, Sam Albury, tweeted this week. He says this, regret can be seen as this. I am sorry about what I did and that it has had the consequences it has had. While repentance says this, I am sorry I am the kind of person who did what I did. And I would add, this is the kind of repentance that, that Judas had. He can't believe he's the kind of person that would betray his friend. His rabbi, an innocent man. Where he fell short was that repentance to God. Because repentance to God leads to change. It leads to healing. It leads to refreshing. It leads to restoration. He changes his mind, and he's, just, he's, he's sick with guilt, and he brings the money back. And the Jewish religious leaders, they don't, they don't accept it. This can't be undone. So then he, he hurls the 30 pieces of silver into the temple. He chucks them in, throws them in. He's like, I, I don't want that. He's so crushed with guilt that he hangs himself. Now Judas, he, he's not beyond forgiveness. He was not beyond restoration. Every single one of the disciples, they desert Jesus and they flee. And Jesus would say to the soldiers, you, Remember what he said to the soldiers after they put the nail, they're literally crucifying him, putting the nails in his hands, putting the nails in his feet. And he says this in Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is able to forgive the soldiers who are putting nails in his hands and putting them on the cross. Surely he would have forgiven and restored Judas. But how did the other disciples respond? They're all hiding now, and they, at least two are escaping out of town towards Emmaus, and Jesus has now been crucified and buried. Apparently, not one of them took it seriously when he mentioned that he's going to die. He, he's got to suffer and die, and, and, but after three days, he's going to rise. So the resurrected Jesus, he begins to show up right, to marry a woman first, and maybe something of, of note if you're an inquiring mind. But they don't believe her report. And I used to think this, this is because it's, she's a woman. They don't believe her. But they don't believe anybody. They don't believe the other guys. Right? The guys that encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus and they run back and they're not believed. Even after most disciples have now seen Jesus, Thomas is like, nah, I got to touch him. You guys have lost your ever-loving minds. It's over. We thought this was it. We thought he was the Messiah. We've got to move on. You guys are insane. These followers, they've had the privilege of seeing him for who he is, the resurrected Jesus, and they know they were just flat wrong about his kingdom and the Messiah that they thought 
he would be. Jesus was the Savior and the Messiah, not that they wanted, but that they needed. So now they, they just march forth, right? They're, they're turning the world upside down. Well, not, not exactly. Not yet, anyway. Instead, some of them decide to go fishing. They return to who they were before Jesus called them to follow. And this really it, it speaks to more about how they felt about themselves than how they felt about Jesus. Some of them went from wanting to be in the top two positions in Jesus' kingdom. Right? To sit at his right, to sit at his left, to I'm not sure, not sure what to do anymore. So I'm just going to go back to, to what I know, who I was. I'm just going to go back to fishing. So are you weary? Are you overwhelmed? Are you discouraged? Are you disillusioned? Are you frustrated? Right, this is the place that the disciples find themselves, and they've seen the risen Lord. They've seen the risen Lord, and they still they don't feel qualified because of their betrayal. They don't feel qualified because of their sin. So what does Jesus do? He makes breakfast. <laughs> he meets them on the shore. Or maybe you're familiar with the story. They, they go out, they return to fishing. A bunch of the disciples, they go out and they fish. And either they're really bad fishermen or God has, has his hand in this. Right? This is the second time we find these guys have caught nothing. You might remember when Jesus first called some of his disciples. They were out fishing all night, and they catch zero. And so he shows up on the shore, and he tells them to cast the net on the other side. And they reluctantly do, and they catch so much fish that they've got to call in for help. Right? And Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so thus it, it began. And they drop everything and they begin their journey with Jesus. Now he finds them disillusioned. They know him to be the risen Lord. They've seen him. Some have they've touched him. But they're fishing once again. Once again, coming up empty. And Jesus is telling them to cast their net on the other side. After catching nothing, filling their boats, if that wasn't just a neat trick. Right, as they haul in the big catch. For them, it was healing. For them, it was restoration. For them, it's Jesus saying, I haven't, I haven't thrown you away. I, I haven't left you. I'm not done with you. As he's fixing breakfast for them on the shore, he, we, we see Peter restored more intimately. Because as he asks him three times, right, he's mirroring that, that three times that, that Peter denies him. So he asks him three times, do you love me? Then go and be who I called you to be. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Be a fisher of men. And so we see Peter pivot. We see him in his first, one of his first public messages so, so quickly change. Right, he's doing it. He's fishing for men. He's speaking to thousands. Thousands are coming to know Christ. The church is growing. Numbers are added daily. Listen to how he speaks. Like This is what it feels like when you repent and you turn to the Lord. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. That times of refreshing may come. Turn to God that times of refreshing may come. May come from the presence of the Lord. 
and that he may send the appointed for you, Jesus. He might not be the Jesus you want, but I can promise you he is the Jesus you need. He will bring times of refreshing. He will bring times of healing, times of restoration. It's when we turn to him. So I just want to encourage us this morning that we would turn to him. That we, when we find ourselves in those, those places of feeling disappointed, disillusioned, Jesus, you weren't who I thought you were. That we would turn to him. And we would see that those times of refreshing would come. Those times of healing would come. That he would restore us. And though you might feel like there's no way, there's no way I can do the things. Maybe God has spoken to you about things when you first came to him. And you were so excited. You were so zealous for the things of God. Come on, let's go. And now you're weary. And you might be in the place where you're like, yeah, but what I've done, what I've thought, Jesus can't, I believe in him, but he can't, he can't use me. What will the, the people think? Jesus can't really use somebody like me, the things that I've done. I'm telling you, when you turn to God, those times of refreshing come, and the one that would betray him, even knowing him, finds himself being a, a fisher of men, being exactly who God called him to be. So where is your Where's your breakfast? Where's your seashore encounter with Jesus? I'd say we take a note from, from Jesus' book and we take some time and we pull away. We spend time with the Father, allowing him to bring that restoration, bring that healing. Let's turn to God. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me this morning? Well, God, we look to you. God, when we are disillusioned, when we're overwhelmed, when we are, are weary. God, when maybe you aren't who we thought you were. God, we turn to you. And we say, God, we want you to be who you are and who we need. God, I pray that you would bring refreshing for those who need it. God, you would bring healing even in this moment. God, as we, as we spend another song in worship, God, that you would bring healing and restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 